Welcome to the Money and Meaning Podcast. It's the podcast for CEOs who want a life full of money and meaning. I'm your host, Kenna Corder, National Certified Counselor and the world's number one clinical hypnotherapist specializing in turning stress and anger into a life of meaning. I created a virtual experience that allows me to have private conversations with CEOs that are stressed because they're singularly focused on money. And what I've found in my clinical practice is that if the CEO is stressed, the whole company is stressed. Am I right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And the CEO is stressed because society makes us believe the American dream is one thing. When it's just not true, it means different things to different people. And the truth is, the American dream is dead now anyway. Because all it ever did was force us to chase money and compete with others, which left us stressed and unhappy. Nobody dreams of being stressed and unhappy. That's why I set out on a mission to guide my tribe on a transformational journey to make America meaningful again. So if finding meaning in life is a high priority for you right now, let's get into today's show. We are joined by another EO member, and we're going to talk about a subject that I think everybody knows a little bit about, especially these days. Tell me, how many of you have rented an Airbnb or vacation rental, whatever the other one is? Or how about you have, you've rented your home out on Airbnb? Have you done that? Well, guess what? We are going to talk to a short-term rental expert today. And Andrew McConnell is the founder and CEO of Rented.com. He holds a degree from Harvard College, Harvard Law School, and Cambridge University, and has worked with some of the world's largest public and private entities as management consulting at McKinsey and Company, and as director, Solutions Design at Axiom Global Inc., In addition to speaking and writing about vacation rentals and the share economy, Andrew also contributes more general business insights and advice to publications like Inc.com, Forbes, and Huffington Post. So obviously he has a plethora of knowledge about vacation rentals, but we're also going to talk to him about business overall, finding meaning, And a couple of other things, because Andrew's a dad, he is a husband, and he is a CEO with stress like the rest of us. So we're going to find out how he moves through it. And so please join me in welcoming our guest today. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Kenan. How are you? I am great, despite what we're experiencing right now. I'm actually doing really well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's really wild, huh? So guys, as of this recording, you're going to hear this later, but as of this recording, we're at the beginnings of this coronavirus thing. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out by the time this airs and we'll, where we'll be and just kind of what it turned into. I'm curious. Yeah. It's a journey. It's an adventure it is. right now. Yeah, It is. How are you feeling about it? I mean, health-wise, I feel good. My family's healthy, and so that's certainly a great place to start and kind of staying close with my friends and family and everything. It's really trying to to get ahead of it with our clients and customers. As I heard the intro, you know, we are in that vacation rental and Airbnb space. Mm -hmm. And as travel continues to shut down, 
we're seeing some real human impact from our clients mm-hmm. and our customers. One's already gone out of business. On the flip <laughs> side, there, there are certain markets where people are in Seattle, schools are closed, they're not allowed to fly anywhere. And so they say, hey, I'm going to drive out to this lake that's close by. Mm-hmm. And so there's certain markets that are actually making money right now. And right now it's, it's going okay. But I think, as you just said, we just don't know. We're on right. the front end of this and we don't know where it's going to go. Yes. Okay. So put a pin in that because I definitely want to go back to that. That is such a good topic. But let me first ask you, what is your idea of prosperity? Yeah. I mean, for me, prosperity really comes down. It's not static, right? It mm-hmm. To me, I try to be deliberate in determining and assessing what I value. and how those may trade against each other? And do I have an abundance of that thing that I value? Mm. So my, my wife is an attorney. She, she's a partner at a law firm. And we have this conversation about, there's a stoic quote of, you can be prosperous by trying to add to the things you have or subtracting mm. from the things you desire. Mm. And we try to really reframe it from that side and saying, okay, is there anything that more money that we could buy that would make us happier? Is there a single material item in this world that we could purchase today that would make us happier? And the answer has never been yes, that we've come across. (laughs) But on the flip side, saying, well, if we could get five hours more a month, even just a month, like an hour a week together as a family, how would we value that? And so as she gains clients, she gives away a percentage of that client to associates up and coming. So one, she wants to, to grow more female people into partnership, more people of color into partnership in her firm. Uh, and so she does that to try to bring them up the ranks. But two, by having them vested in it, she has less burden on herself. And so she maybe she's giving up dollars, but she's buying herself time. And so I, for me, that in this point in the stage of where I am in my life, being married, having a four-year-old daughter, having friends, prioritizing my health, time is something that matters a lot while still being intellectually engaged and challenged. And mm-hmm. so prosperity is, is just being conscious about what I value and having an abundance of that thing. Yes. Oh my goodness. First of all, I think I want to interview your wife. <laughs> she sounds amazing. And she, she's British, so she has this amazing accent. So you definitely oh, need to Yes. <laughs> I love it when I can get a British or Australian person on the podcast. I just sound, oh, oh French too. We, yeah. we, we talked earlier about wait, wait. sounding smart, right? For some reason, they just sound just so much like they, they know what they're saying. So sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oh, yeah. She does sound amazing because. What you said, first of all, I love that it's collective, you know, because I work as a therapist, I've worked with couples and they have two different ideas of prosperity. And it's like one person's over here trying to do this thing and the other person's over there trying to do this thing. And the things aren't coming together because they're too far apart. And you can blend your ideas of prosperity, but I adore the fact that you guys have similar ideas of prosperity and you know how to work them. But even with like what your wife's idea being to build other people coming up, junior partners coming up under her, the young women and the people of color, 
that finding meaning in that, but also doing something good for herself so that she does have that extra five hours or whatever she needs to spend time with you and your daughter. So awesome. And that you support her in that because you could be like, what are you talking about, woman? You better go get that five to six. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to kind of idealize it and say we always 100% agree, but we have the conversation. So what it does is it surfaces what those differences are and where we need to make trade-offs so we don't get down the line and realize maybe we were doing something we thought the other person valued that they didn't. Mm-hmm. And we we may resent that and they may not appreciate it. <laughs> that's a terrible position to be in. Yes, that's it is. But I teach my daughter and my nephew as well that everything is a conversation. My nephew was born when I was 15. I have an older sister. So okay. I was 15 years old. And so he and I kind of grew up together. And I always told him, like, you can tell me anything. And because I was 15 years old as his aunt, he believed that. Like if I had Uh been 20 something, that would have been like, no, no, you're old. I'm not telling you anything. So I always raised him to believe that everything is a conversation. So as hard as sometimes it is to have the conversation, everything just is a conversation. Let's just talk it out. Also love how you guys, how you said, we're not always going to agree but we definitely need to have the conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I do want to point out the statement or the, the quote that you talked about. It is this trade-off of, do you need another thing? Or could mm-hmm. you just be happy with or grateful for the things you have and shift your desires in a different way rather than things? Because that's what we're talking about here is finding meaning over money. I really think if you look at the big businesses of the 21st century, the the ones that have really taken off, and it's this idea of the access economy of, hey, I don't necessarily need a car. I need to get from point A to B Mm. at a specific time. And that you get Uber, you get Lyft, you get car sharing, like Get Around or Turo. I don't actually need to go cut down a whole bunch of trees and mine a bunch of minerals and ores to build a hotel because there are a bunch of empty houses and empty beds there. And so you get Airbnb, you get VRBO. And so I think more and more society is looking at this stuff saying, not only do do more things not make me happier, but there's a psychological stress that comes with keeping up with the things and managing the things and maintaining the things that mm-hmm. I can get out of if I just want to get the access to it. I just want to use these things when I feel like using them. I don't want to have to deal with ownership. Ownership actually has a cost to it beyond the monetary cost. And so you're paying twice. I think that's where some of these businesses like Zoom, you know, Zoom's taking off right now with COVID, with video conferencing. Hey, you don't need a huge video conference center. I just need the software that I can use when I need to do video conferences with other people. And I think that's really tapping into that vein is a business opportunity because it's a human, it's a human longing. It's a human desire as we shift on how, yes. we, how we look at it. It is. And, and how you do anything is how you do everything, right? The saying mm-hmm. goes, mm-hmm. I do see plenty of opportunity for excess. I don't even know if it's this age. I think it might have started with Gen Xers, you know, and then it kind of went down. And millennials might be going the other ways. I feel like baby boomers were a little spend at verse. And then Gen Xers were like, let's get it. Like, what? what is it? 
and I know, at least I know from my parents, I think they're like at the end of the baby boomer. They mm-hmm. kind of spoiled us in the sense that if we ask for something, I don't really remember it being no. And sometimes right. it should have been. And like Christmases and stuff like that, birthdays were two and three and four and five gifts where it could have just been one. So we got programmed that love and acceptance and all of this other stuff was about more, especially Mm -hmm. even around degrees. And I know (laughs) Andrew McConnell is extremely educated. So I'm not going to, I love degrees. I think they make sense, especially if you're going to be in a specialty like law. But that was something that we also kind of took on too. Like, okay, what, what other degree can I get to be smart or sound educated? And that's something that came in our, our generation as well. What would you say about that? Yeah, I mean, I think there are two forces at work here. I think there's yeah. one, as you say, that it's cyclical. So for people who were raised through the Great Depression and there was a time of real want and they saw people really going hungry, in certain parts of the world, including the U.S., people literally starving. I forget the percentage, but it was an absurd percentage of Americans in World War II were turned away from the army because they were undernourished. They mm. couldn't even enlist in the army uh, because they were so undernourished. And so coming out of that, when you're at a non-sustainable state, the desire for more starts. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And so then in that sense, I think you are right where millennials are reacting some against to what prior generations on that more and more and more materialism, let's deplete all the world's assets and destroy the earth Mm -hmm. to accumulate more things. There's part response to that. There is a separate piece that I think is not cyclical that is psychological. And Mm -hmm. that is over and over they show once you hit a level of, I don't know if the right word's prosperity or it's sustainability in your life, one more dollar or a thousand more, none of that actually can buy you more happiness. Right. You adjust to that state almost instantly. So you think, okay, if I go from a BMW to a Ferrari, I will be happy. A month later, you're wanting a Bugatti. A month later, <laughs> you're wanting a yacht. And that's, it. it is, there's no long-term sustainable happiness that is created by additional material goods. Only, the only thing that the money or wealth or prosperity in those means can get you that does seem to have a contribution, a positive contribution to your happiness is experiences. And especially experiences with people that are meaningful to you. That's where, you know, now we have the research to back it up and we have a generation that's reacting to some of the excesses of prior generations. And it's kind of coming together where we may make fun of millennials of how they're thinking about it. But a lot of the things they say they value are things that science says, actually, humans value these things. It's just (laughs) we were fighting against our own instincts for, for a period of time. Yes. Let that shift us into business and talk about, because you talked about the experiences and that's kind of how I see when we get an Airbnb, we're looking for a particular experience. When we use mm-hmm. vacation rental by owner, we're looking for a particular experience. We want it to be in a certain place. We want it to look a certain way. You don't have a lot of that autonomy, I guess you would say, 
at a hotel because there's what it is. They have 400 rooms. You're just taking one of them. They all look alike, you know, kind of thing. How does this like experience move into the business that you run? My business and how I initially even came up with and got started in the space, my background, as you talked about, more law and then management consulting for huge companies and government bodies. It was not in vacation rentals in Hilton Head, was hearing people talking about renting their properties themselves on VRBO. And these people who owned extra houses were relatively wealthy. They were cardiologists, they were dentists, and thinking and explaining to them, wait, you're spending how much time doing this? Mm -hmm. And you bill your time to insurance companies at what rate? Are you making a quarter million dollars a year off of your one bedroom apartment down in Destin, Florida? No, I'm barely making 20,000. Mm -hmm. Okay, so effectively, you're now billing your time out at, you know, not $500 an hour. You're billing it out at barely $50 an hour. Is that a trade-off you really want to make? And absolutely not. These are people who did not mow their own lawn. They didn't change their own oil. They don't repair their own cars. They hire people to do it. And there was this disconnect from the local management companies that did this for a living, undoubtedly could do this better than the owner. And owners being able to understand and see the value those local companies created. And that's where we as rented.com come in to really try to help these local businesses. Because these are small five to 10 person companies in Hilton Head, in Destin, in Gatlinburg, in Cape Cod, in Las Vegas. And helping them create a global reach with their local business. Right, We're in a world where... Thanks to technology, thanks to the internet, thanks to sites like Airbnb and VRBO, you are competing globally. You're competing for global customers and global guests. And as a small local business, that is incredibly difficult to do. And so Mm -hmm. what we do is really come in with the the technology, the the team, the tools and skill set on a global scale to help those managers still own and operate their businesses locally, but compete on that global level. Got it. So you're really B2B. You're not working with the individual. You're working with the management company. Correct. Yeah. Because, you know, the other way to go is if those small local, but you talked about the reason you like staying in these things is for the unique experience, that unique neighborhood, local feel, Mm -hmm. mom and pop, whatever it is. If those companies can't stay in business because the big hotels and or the big companies raising a bunch of money push them out. Mm-hmm. then you're just going to be left with big box yep. vacation rooms. And what's the point of that? And so we're really trying to help them, especially, you know, we're talking about what's happening today in terms of COVID yep. and, and travel, helping them navigate through that. You know, how do we take the expertise we've built to help them navigate SBA loans, given what they're seeing in their business? How do we help them, given my consulting background, on emergency planning and contingency planning and scenario analysis to know what triggers need to to change their course of action. And so we're constantly trying to respond to what these small local businesses in our space need. Mm, Yeah. Now, speaking of respond, I know that is something that you work on managing, you know, really being responsive rather than reactive. And especially where we are right now, it's it's easy to get reactive and shift and turn and move and be, you know, pushed by the tide. 
but how do you balance when to be responsive and when to be reactive? Have you kind of considered how to do that? Yeah, I mean, for me, and this may be different per person, I know the dangers of being reactive. Mm-hmm. And I'm smart enough to know that. I'm not always smart enough to act or not act accordingly. And right. so, this is where <laughs> <no> therapy comes. <laughs> yeah, this is where I really try to and, and don't go it alone. It's where ah. I tap into my leadership team. Yeah. And before making the action or before communicating more broadly, bring more people into that conversation. Mm. And if you go too broad too quickly, you can spin everybody out of control. If they see the the supposed leader of the company kind of spinning out of control or, or contemplating some certain things. But if on the other hand, you have this kind of kitchen cabinet and you can all sit and talk through it, you get these different perspectives. And it is a fine line on not being reactive, but also not being an ostrich. And so being realistic about what you're seeing, what you believe is going to happen and the plan for that. And back to the scenarios of, well, if that doesn't happen or these other things do happen, how are we going to track that and how are we going to adjust in time? And mm-hmm. and so I think it, it's both of those things. It's not doing it alone and making sure that you are clear on what you expect to happen and tracking against that. So if that does not happen, you're adapting as you need to. Yes, exactly. That's a great point. I love how you said not doing it alone because as a CEO, life can be very lonely. You know, you're the, the top of the food chain, so to speak, and you don't always have somebody to go to. And if you really haven't built a team that you trust yet, we talked about that with a couple of other CEOs. If you don't, you can't lean on your team. It's like now you're in this space. Of course, you're an EO, so you have a, a tribe of CEOs that you can lean on, but not everybody has that. The Beatles said, money can't buy me love. But guess what? We are all using money to get love. It's true. I'll tell you why I know. I've learned in my almost 20 years of working in the financial and mental health industries that money and love go together, whether we want it to or not. All of our actions are based on doing what we think will get us the maximum amount of love. Now, later in life, we begin to use money to get that love. From the time we are children, we set in motion a plan to get our parents' love, then our friends' love, next our partner's love, and so on and so on and so on. So you see, around age 14, we make a final decision on how we will handle money. And it just so happens that at that same time, we are making a decision on how we'll handle love. You might decide to be a saver. You might decide to be a spender. You may even decide to be a hero or an enthusiast. Wondering what those two are? Take the money mentality quiz. It will reveal how you use money to get love. You don't have to believe me. See it for yourself. Take the money mentality quiz. Go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash quiz and see for yourself. It's free and it only takes like two minutes. The great thing is you'll walk away 
not only knowing your money mentality or money personality, but you'll also know your money strengths and challenges so you can do something about them. So go ahead, take the quiz, but don't stop there. At the end, remember, give me your email address, your best email address, so I can give you some guidance to get enough love and money in your life to make it full of meaning. Go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash quiz. The link is in the show notes. Now, let's get back to today's show. I love that you said that's one of the core values that you use as a CEO is is to not go at it alone because you can't rely on your own understanding. I mean, you can for so long and then you, but you kind of got yourself into this. (laughs) So it's like, if I got myself into this, it's not likely that I'm the person that's going to get me out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Smart enough to know my own limitations, right? I'm not so smart that I have no limitations, but I'm smart enough to know that I have those limitations. Yeah. So being able to recognize those and try to, build the network, the tribe, or even internally the leadership team to help balance that out. Because mm-hmm. it's it's not about what I can do, it's about what we can do. And getting that right we together just really amplifies that. Yeah, that is so true. Here at Presidential Lifestyle, we practice radical honesty. And just like what I told you about how I raised my nephew, same way that I run my company, and it's like, talk to me, just talk to me, just talk to me. But the same is true for them. I, I'm not, when when things are tight or when things are shifting, I'm, I'm just honest because I'm like, hey, this is what's happening. And they, I trust that they won't do anything reactive with the information I'm giving them, mainly because we teach stress management. So they have the tools to respond to me rather than react and vice versa, making sure I'm not giving them a reactive response. So like what's happening in the world right now, we could easily react and do something ridiculous, whatever that would be. And then look at it a month or two from now and like, why did we do that? That was so irrational rather than saying, hmm, let's sit back. This is going to last so long. It looks like maybe 30 days. I don't know. It's going to affect a lot of people. And this is true for every decision. I'm not saying just this situation here. We're really looking at, okay, let's be aware. Like what is happening? What are the facts? And I think like Columbo or whatever, stick to the facts, lady. Like (laughs) (laughs) that's what we have. We jokingly say that a lot in our company. We're like, stick to the facts, lady. Because when we want to, even though we serve men, there are quite a few women in our company. So, and I jokingly say this about women and I can, because I am a woman, but we don't always (laughs) stick to the facts. (laughs) We can get a little, I don't know what the word is, but imaginative, you know, and we create a lot. And so we do have to bring ourselves back to center to ground it and say, okay, what are the facts? That's the awareness we talk about. Then we also talk about acceptance. So some of this stuff is beyond our control and some things are within our control and then we control what we can control. And then those things we control, let's get to it. Let's adjust them. Let's do what we need to do. And that's what I hear you saying in, in your explanation. That's our system and you know how we train our CEOs, but it sounds like that's something that you've learned over the years. Am am I hearing you right? It is. I mean, I I think there is the other end of that spectrum of 
ignoring the facts, right? Mm. Of you, you can spin out of control and act too fast or react too fast and do the wrong thing. You can also pretend stuff's not happening and steer the current course. Uh, and yeah. it was John Maynard Keynes that said, you know, when I have new information, I change my opinion. What do you do? Right. Mm. So it is being honest with yourself of these facts and my assessment of them are based on certain assumptions. What are those assumptions? And how and when will I test if those assumptions are continuing to hold true? Yes. Uh, because you don't want to just blindly keep going. Yes, absolutely. And as a hypnotherapist, I teach, you know, we know fight or flight. A lot of people mm -hmm. talk about fight or flight. We learned that growing up. And part of our program, what I added was fight, flight, freeze, mm -hmm. or appease is the other one. And sometimes we're just like, just tap dancing around it That's right. <laughs> and not making it. We're just like appeasing the king or whoever. And just like, oh, nothing is happening here. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> But all of those are reactions, you know, whether you're you're fighting against it or you're running from it or you're freezing in its face or if you're pretending like it's not happening. Those are all human responses or I should say reactions. And then we have to find that conscious CEO response in all the choices that we have. Yeah, I mean, creating that both mental and emotional distance to be able to self-reflect on that. What mm -hmm. am I doing in this situation? Once you have that framework, using that to self-assess. Yes, absolutely. In your years of running a business, what would you say have been some of the, well, I have two questions. One is sacrifice. The other ones are your, your heaviest stressors. So let's go with stressors first. What would you say have been your deepest or biggest stressors in running this company or even before that? I think I, I have a lot of stress that just is my mind not shutting off. And so mm -hmm. the stress could be something I'm excited about that manifests, ends up manifesting itself as stress because I, I want to do it now. I want to solve this now. I want to get working on it now. And so early days of the business, there was a stress of going to bed because I wasn't working. I was asleep and I really wanted to get up and work. And that was a stress. And then mm -hmm. there's a stress of people maybe leaving the company or losing a customer or mm -hmm. the market shifting and needing to change business models. Or oh, yeah. one we were touching on now, of literally we have customers going out of business this quickly out of COVID. Wow. And, and so that, that is stressful. If, if our customers are not in business, how are we in business? I think stress it, it's hard to turn to the matrix for science, but where it talked about, they tried to create a system where there was no stress mm -hmm. and the humans couldn't grow. Like the, the brain can't accept it. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is getting back to, I think it was Epictetus of don't think you're going to get well by running to some other location if the sickness is within you. And so mm -hmm. I don't think it's truly the external environment, the external actions, the external people that are making me stressed, it is internal. Above my desk, I have a quote, other people are not the problem. It is truly internalizing. There's not something that is good. There's not something that's bad. There's just something that is. And it's my reaction to it that then paints it with that good or bad brush and yes. then decides, am I going to stress around it? So, you know, I think there's been a variety and a multitude of stresses, but 
they all came down to the same thing. It, they were all me stressing. Yes, I get that. That is good. Very good self-awareness there. We interviewed another EO, CEO, her name's Sage. And she said that somebody had given her advice that you can't have your biggest expansion without going through your biggest contraction. So as things contract and come back in, the only place they can go is out. So while we're so feeling that discomfort of that contraction, we just know, we have to know that we're about to have a really big expansion. So somebody told her that and I thought that was beautiful. And I was like, yeah, so yeah, true. I mean, to carry that metaphor, that that is the definition of the Big Bang, right? It was that mm. it got so dense that it actually exploded. That's where the universe created. Or a totally different metaphor, the contraction and then birth. Actually, yes. the human birth, right? Your, yes. your contractions lead to this expansion of life. Exactly. I knew we were going to get along. I love how we... <laughs> I love how we just brought that so beautifully together because it is that it's being able to get through the contractions. And it sounds like this one company that you're using as an example, they just weren't prepared and they weren't able to make it through that contraction because you talked about this earlier and you thought you guys, I know you guys thought I wasn't going to come back, but see how good I am. You talked about this when we first started is being able to benefit from what is about to happen, right? Because some people are going to benefit from this. Yeah. While others are going out of business, others, some are growing. So let's talk about that. And I am quite proud of myself if you didn't notice. <laughs> well done. Yeah. I mean, they, they say necessity is the mother of all invention. And mm -hmm. this is going to be a period where we are going to see the best of human ingenuity and human kindness and all these other things coming out. I mean, we, in terms of the human kindness thing, I've seen so many companies and founders, we cut our prices in half until June. You don't have to ask for it, anything. We just told our customers, your bills are half as much going forward because we know you have less to pay. And I've seen Zoom, the video conference we referenced, he just gave that away to free to K-12. So people are going to have to be at home. I use this, mm. but let's continue teaching our kids. And these aren't business decisions. These are human decisions of right. trying to, to help other people. But the flip side is there's also the opportunity of rethinking what work looks like, rethinking how your business operates. And when you're comfortable, you don't always go through that hard work. And when you when you're forced back against the wall, that's when you find out just how creative and innovative you can be. Exactly. And so we're we're trying to work with our customers on okay, if you're in an area that's under quarantine, sure people can't travel to you, but people also can't get out. So if they're stuck there and they may be stuck in a small hotel room, can you start marketing to those people on discount to say, hey, would you like to come to this four-bedroom house to have some space, to have a kitchen, to have some breathing room? Because you don't know if you're going to be here for another two or four weeks. Mm. And so rethinking what you're offering, what your guest is, because what you're offering, it's not an Airbnb. It's not a vacation rental. Those are random labels we put on it. You're offering a place to sleep, a place to live. Mm -hmm. And who needs that place to sleep and place to live? And so reframing what you do. It, this has actually been something I've been pushing our industry for a while to get away from vacation yeah. in your name as a company 
in the name of the industry association. It doesn't have to be a vacation. Oh, it's, let me tell you. <laughs> because everybody in our company lives different places. Mm. Like I live in Nevada. We have somebody in Georgia. We have somebody in California. We have somebody in Illinois. We have somebody in South Carolina. When we get together, I have to rent an Airbnb for us to get together and work when we mm. need to get together. Like Because we, we yeah. run a tech-enabled company, we don't always need to get together, but sometimes we do. And so we do work retreats. And we all get together and it might be just me pulling one department like, OK, we need this is a marketing meeting. So it might just be me okay. and my, my marketing manager. So we use it in that sense a lot of times for work because I don't want to be at a hotel. It's not fun for me because I have so many dietary restrictions that mm. most hotel restaurants just do not. They, they can't serve me. And a lot of times they don't care that they can't yes. serve me because mm-hmm. they're a one size fits all. Right. Yes. They're not built around you. They're built around the average. Yes. And the, the reality about the average is no one's average. Like there's a, actually a tiny percentage that's average. It's a, a, a summation and division of a bunch of variety. Yep. And mm-hmm. it one size fits all means it doesn't actually fit Big virtually anyone. Exactly. Yeah. That is so true. So true. So I'm glad that you're pushing that. And, and I'm glad that now some kind of crisis usually happens to get us to shift. You know, you said it earlier, invention comes out of necessity and we usually wait for the catastrophic event before we make a move, unfortunately. But but it's good that you already have the notion because it's not like now you have to go into the incubator and brainstorm because it was already in you and now it's like an execution. Am I right? It is. I mean, I, I will say I was, I was having uh, breakfast with CEO of a, one of the top three airlines and he was talking about, and this was maybe three weeks ago, mm-hmm. he was saying in our 2020 planning, I can tell you hundred percent the word COVID or coronavirus does not appear once. Mm. And because it, no, it was on zero people's radar. Right. So yes, we had gotten ahead. We thought a downturn was coming. You know, we had put cash aside. We tried to do all these kinds of planning things, but this still looks different than anything we had modeled and planned for. Mm-hmm. So we're having to go in and rerun our models, rerun the scenarios, create new scenarios on what stuff looks like, and change some of our product offerings to be responsive to today. Because if right. our customers can't make it through today, it doesn't matter what tomorrow looks like because they're not around. We have to get them to tomorrow. Yep. Mm -hmm. So true. Yeah, the last economic downturn, at that time I was a financial advisor and the shift I wasn't at all prepared for, ready for. I actually was coming into, I came into the industry at 2007. So I came in right before it. So I really wasn't even warm enough. I was still a little green and, and cold. And so I wasn't ready for it at all, but I already knew this was coming. And so I was like you trying to think of how to put things in place. So I mm-hmm. feel like the coronavirus is just, it activated what was going to happen anyway. It pushed it and made it happen faster and it may be bigger than it was. But I'm hoping that because it happened faster and bigger, it makes the labor pains, going back to our earlier analogy, it makes the labor pains um, shorter. Like for instance, I was born in an hour and a half. That's how long my mom Mm. was in labor with me. But with 
But my sister, on the other hand, with my nephew, she was in labor for like 30 hours or something. So I feel like this coronavirus is going to push it. So maybe we'll be in labor an hour and a half rather than 30 hours. Yeah. I mean, it's like that Kanye song, bigger, faster, stronger, longer. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We we thought something was coming or like, you know, we're on the longest bull market in history and and there's probably, but it's, this is bigger than we thought the correction would be. This is likely going to last longer than, than we thought as it pushes. And so yeah, Yeah. the world continues to surprise us. It's back. I think something you had touched on before of really learning to have the serenity. I I think it's the AA prayer, the serenity to accept the things Mm -hmm. I cannot change and the courage Mm -hmm. to change the things I can. Yeah. And then the wisdom to know the difference between those two. Yes. Of just really try to understand what is in your control. And I think a lot of the things we had acted like were in our control, mm-hmm. people are relearning or learning for the first time. Nope, that's that's not actually in your control. Yep. And when I sit down with CEOs, that's the number one thing that we talk about. The number one thing is you don't have control over that. Why is your focus there? And that's, to me, that is the most valuable part of what I do is giving people that wisdom because it's really already inside of them. I'm just allowing them to see what they already know, but Mm. their subconscious brain has told them the best way for you to survive this is for you to take control of this. And then they don't know that if I put all my energy on things I don't control, then I am totally ignoring the things I do control, which is what you talked about earlier. So that that part of our program to me is the most rewarding because I see the biggest aha moments and like the biggest lights come on when CEOs are like, oh, shoot, I don't control this. Because once you become Mm -hmm. a high achiever, you can kind of get a bit of a God complex to think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think the world and everybody probably perceives the the news differently, but there's a somewhat of a double whammy there of everybody knows technically, yeah, you could go at any time you get Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, hit by mm -hmm. the bus, et cetera. But with Kobe, I think it, it really hit a lot more people because you think, Mm -hmm. wow, famous, rich, so successful, just transitioned career, retired right on his terms, everything. Mm -hmm. And that in the blink of an eye, he and then his daughter was so much promise and all those other family oh, they yeah. could go and you're thinking, wow, okay, that that really can happen. And then right on the heels, we start having this global pandemic and people just realizing, wow, I, I am such a small piece of this universe mm-hmm. and I want to make the most and do the best that I can while I'm here. But really having that understanding of what's in my control. Absolutely. Now, this doesn't always happen, but I have completely lost track of time (laughs) (laughs) during this conversation. Normally, by now, I would kind of like recap what we've talked about, because I think what happens when people are listening, especially like when you're listening in the car, there are like so many good points. And of course, nobody's writing this stuff down. But I do want to I have one more question for you. And I am going to recap just a little bit if I can. Because what happens when we're having a conversation and then people are basically this is what's happening. People are overhearing our conversation. And so Mm -hmm. if they're eavesdropping on our conversation as we talk, 
on this podcast, I definitely want them to take away something. Some of the things that I know we've pointed out was just even starting with your idea of prosperity and how we're subtracting from all the desires that we have. And I say, because it's programming, we see other people have it. So we want it too. but is it really our desire? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So we can just get back to what we truly desire, the things that are most valuable to us, then we can find our or create our idea of prosperity. And then also, you know, bringing your wife back in and how she's finding meaning in building up people that are coming up under her, but also freeing up time and space for herself to live her idea of prosperity as she figures out what that is exactly. And um, you talked a lot about this, like psychological happiness. We think that more things, you know, whether it's degrees or cars and clothes or even women or men, right? Because <laughs> sometimes that's yeah. part of our idea too. Like, oh, if a lot of people love me, if they think I'm awesome, then I'm loved. But really? And then there's this more money, more problems, right? We've told ourselves that is more money, more problems. But is it the more money that brought the problems? Or did you accumulating all this stuff that now needs to be repaired and stored and you created the problems? So some of those things are what bring us to where we are now in this conversation. I mean, we've we've gone far over that conversation. We started with what's on your resume and then shifted away from your resume, your bio to the meaning, like what's really brought you meaning and you sharing with your clients, your customers, and even the world, this idea that business doesn't have to be done in transactions, but more experiential. And if you're thinking about the experience that the world is trying to have, then you can serve in, in a much bigger way and add meaning to other people's lives while also adding meaning to your life. Did I leave anything? Yeah, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> Good. Cool. So tell me before we go to our last question, if people want to, to reach out to you, you know, whether they are a management company or they're just looking to connect with you. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah. It, the best LinkedIn uh, is probably where I'm most active. Andrew McConnell, uh, CEO of Renna.com. I'm on Twitter at M as in Michael A as in Andrew McConnell. And then the company Twitter's at Renna.com or at Renna.com. And then of course our website rented.com. Okay. Awesome. So LinkedIn, Twitter, or the website. So go and check out Andrew when you get a chance. If you're not able to write this down, just go to the show notes. It'll be there. And our last question, and one of my favorite questions is, what is the best advice you've ever received or the advice you wish somebody would have told you? This one for me is kind of a funny one because it's, it's two different pieces of advice at two different times in my life that were exact opposite and also exactly correct. Mm. So when, when I was a teenager in David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, a character says, you'll care a lot less about what other people think about you when you realize how little they actually do. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of anxiety, uh, certainly I had as a teenager, of perception and in social standing and what people are thinking. And 
reading that made me realize, wait, everybody else probably has the same anxiety. They're constantly thinking of themselves, not me, <laughs> you know? So yeah. why am I stressing what they think? Because they're not thinking about me. They're thinking about themselves. <laughs> and that was incredibly liberating. And then just, I guess it was almost two years ago now. So I'd been building Renan.com for almost six years at that time. I was having a conversation with Donna Dubensky, the former CEO of Palm and early at Apple, had told her that of like, I have this really freeing mindset about people aren't thinking about me. She's like, oh no, that's not true. <laughs> now that you're the CEO, everybody's actually watching what you're doing <laughs> and thinking about what you're doing. And she was totally correct. <laughs> you know, I, I was uh, seeing people just react to the littlest things I said or did that I hadn't put any thought into, but they put a ton of thought into <laughs> And so this advice, it was totally liberating and freeing to 16-year-old me was totally the wrong thing for 36-year-old me running a business. Yeah. Uh, and so those were both phenomenal pieces of advice, totally opposite, but totally spot on for the, the point in my life in which I received them. Oh, that's so good. Yes, that's so true. I love that. Yeah, it's kind of like how everybody says like, well, Oprah said and Oprah said, right? It's like at one point something shifted and what she said is became Bible, just became law, right? But it, not nothing, no reason, just she grew, she got successful. So now it's shifted and everything mm-hmm. she does and says, she can make one move and, and it shifts the whole economy. So oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so true. At, at some point, People are thinking about you a lot more than you actually even know, which in a sense can be a good thing because those little steps you take, like being on the Presidential Experience podcast, can like really shift somebody's thought. There's something you said today that somebody's going to say, huh, I'd do that. Maybe I should. If he said he stopped doing that, maybe I should stop doing that. That is getting in the way of my success. You know, little things like that, that we don't even know that we affect. And that's why I enjoy doing this podcast, but also asking these pertinent questions that are past what's on our resumes and really what's in our hearts. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I had such a great time hanging out with you. And I know that people are going to get something from what you said. So thank you for sharing your story and your, your wisdom. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys. So you have one more reason to find meaning over money. So go out there and do that. Share your story with us and we'll see you next week. Hey, before you go, I'm wondering, are you a CEO who is starting to feel like it's time to manage your stress? rather than just tolerate it? Have you gotten to a point where you rather be appreciated for who you are rather than what you've done according to society's rules? Would you like to enjoy your success with less stress? If this sounds like you and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit for working with me and my team over here at Presidential Lifestyle, then here's what I'd like you to do. I invite you to head on over to presidentiallifestyle.com and book a private conversation with me. It's not free. My time is valuable, just as valuable as yours is. And for that reason, I'm going to pour into you for about 45 to 60 minutes. You pay a small fee in exchange for a lot of love. 
so we can get to the bottom of what's stressing you out right now. I'll listen to your goals, accomplishments, and even your challenges. And I'll tell you more about me and my process too. You'll get to ask me questions and I'll give you a few tips and resources that you can start using immediately to reduce your stress. It'll be worth your time and your money. I promise you that. At the end of our call, if we believe that we can work together successfully, I'll share with you the fastest way to get to where you want to be using my program. At Presidential Lifestyle, we help CEOs all over the world navigate through stress and turn their money into meaning. To see if we can help you do that same thing, head on over to presidentiallifestyle.com or simply click the link in the show notes. All right, go now. I'll see you there. Talk to you sooner. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, my Prosperity Pro. I want to stay connected with you. Here are four ways. Pick the one that works best for you if you want to stay connected with me. One, if you have any questions, I'd love to answer them. Send them to podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. I'd love it if you would make a one or two minute audio message and attach it to an email. That'd be the easiest way for me to get it. Ask me anything about creating a life of meaning over money and I'll get you an answer. Remember the email address is podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. Two, subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends because you guys might want to have a discussion about it, especially if they're a CEO who wants to shift from the old American dream to a life of meaning. Three, we try not to have any sponsors on this show unless they are truly in line with our values. I mean, really a good fit. So that means we fund this podcast ourselves. I'd like you to take a look at our resource page to see if there's any products or services that we recommend that are right for you. If not, no worries, maybe later. If so, please use our affiliate link to purchase. Thank you in advance for doing that. You are such an amazing person. Okay, four and last. If you want to know what's happening over here at Presidential Lifestyle and you want us to email you the update, then go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. And you'll see the current updated blog for the week, but you'll also see a link to subscribe to that blog. We can email it to you if you like. That's presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. Don't worry. You don't have to remember that link or any links. They're all in the show notes. Oh, and I forgot to say, if you're enjoying this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review and tell us how much you're enjoying it. And now for the legalese. This podcast is not to replace professional counsel. The best advice is from a professional who knows you and your specific situation. The topics discussed in this podcast are general in nature and for informational or entertainment purposes only. We encourage you to meet with a professional that you can discuss your specific situation with. Whether you choose us or someone else, one-on-one counsel is important, whether it's a financial, therapeutic, 
legal, or other decision. So that's all for now. I'll see you next episode. And remember, you can have wealth in all of its forms. Believe it, and you'll soon see it.